0: In the Apostle Paul's letter to the churches in Galatia, we are presented with God's wonderful plan through the death and resurrection of Jesus to save for himself a diverse family of saints who are being transformed by Jesus to live like Jesus. This is Galatians, God's very good idea, and we are Mercy Village Church, located in Barbersville, West Virginia, and you can learn more at www.mercyvillage.church my wife loves fruit. Uh, she always has ever since I first met her. And so, uh, that made her love Uganda, uh, even more because Uganda is a place that has some of the best fruit really th- that I've ever had. It's a tropical climate. And so, uh, it's 72 to, or 78 to 82 degrees year round, just absolutely beautiful place on the equator. Um, and they have fruit, like passion fruit, and then they have these tiny little sweet bananas, and they have these avocados that are as big as your head, and this thing called a jackfruit that my wife and my daughter both find to be extraordinarily delicious. But the, the fruit, the lusciousness of the fruit, testifies to the climate that Uganda exists in. The fruit says something about Uganda. Well, same is true for us. Uh, The fruit of our lives or the lack thereof says something about who we are. And Galatians chapter 5 is all about that. Last week we saw the works of the flesh are evidence that we are living according to the flesh. And this week Paul moves into evidences that we are walking in step with the Spirit. These are the fruit of the Spirit. What we'll see today is that the Holy Spirit in our lives is seen. He's made manifest in the growth of certain things and in the death of certain things as we walk in rhythm with him in the unforced rhythms of grace. Father, today, what we know not, please teach us. What we are not, please make us, and what we have not, please give us. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Paul starts out with the word, but. I like buts, and I cannot lie. And that's a joke that would have gone better in person, I'm sure. Uh, It's a contrast word. It signifies that there's something that came before that what is about to be stated contrasts with. That's obvious, especially in this passage, because he just listed, of course, the works of the flesh. In contrast to that, the complete other side of the coin, darkness versus light, are the, the fruit of the Spirit stands in contrast to the works of the flesh. The fruit of the Spirit, the evidence of the Spirit, the, the um, receipts for the fact that you're walking in step with the Spirit, the evidence that you're living in the true freedom that is yours in Christ, this is it. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, joy. Peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Quite a list. He starts with love. The word here in Greek is agape. Paul uses three different Greek words. The Greeks used even more words to describe love. Paul uses three primarily, and this one is agape. Relational, covenantal, unconditional love. The love described in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, if you're familiar with that passage. A few verses ago, Paul talked about faith working itself out through love in our lives. That that love, as it spills out, it spills out in the following things. Joy is the next one. One of the things that spills out of that agape love that is ours from God, through Christ, by the Holy Spirit... One of the ways that that pours out is joy. This is a steady thing, joy is. Not some like uh, giddy, rah-rah, happy thing, although it does includes, certainly includes happiness. But this word for joy is not too high. It's not too low. It's, it's constant and content. Constant contentedness. That's what he's speaking of. During any circumstances, constantly content. I struggle with this. You could ask my wife, right? Then there's certain things on this list that each of us maybe are like, yeah, that's something that I, God has graciously done in my life. I can see growth there. Other things say I still need grace to grow in those areas. This is one for me, that constant contentedness. When things, right, right, like even when the, the COVID positive test came back for my daughter and I started thinking about all the things that I was going to miss my contentment faded away and my my wife sat on the other side of the car as we were driving to get to get tested and as I was thinking of all the things that were going to fly out the window she prayed that we would have contentedness and rest in the sovereignty of God so she was the pastor not me hopefully you hear all that noise below us right that's my kids down there it wouldn't it wouldn't feel right if there wasn't noise Uh, in my house too while I was, while I'm preaching, joy. The next one is peace. The closely related Hebrew word, right? So in, in, in Greek, you have a different word here for peace, but closely related to that is the Hebrew word shalom. Shalom is, is this idea of personal wholeness, being completely whole, being in a relationship that's, that's beneficial and beautiful. Right? And, it's a, and it transcends the home and the church and the world. That's the type of, of peace here. And, and you can watch the flow for the Christian. The Christian's been made whole in Jesus. We were once broken, sinful, imperfect, and we've been made righteous and whole by the finished work of, of Jesus on the cross. And relationally, we've been brought into a relationship with God. We've been reconciled to him through Jesus. And so now what the Christian does, right, who is walking in step with the Spirit, is that same peace, that being made whole in Jesus, and that relational beauty that is ours with God because of of Jesus, we go and live that out in the world. That's the idea of peace. Peace. We used to have this magnet, too, that speaks to another part of this word, uh, this word for peace. Uh, This magnet said peace. It does not mean to be in a place where there is no noise or trouble or hard work. It means to be in the midst of these things and still be calm in your heart. So there's an idea here that that wholeness and that relational beauty that we live out, that we receive from Jesus and live out, to others, it comes in the midst of any circumstance as we stay calm in our hearts. The next word is patience. Now, this is another one that I need work on. I'm, I'm not a very patient person. This word has to do with, uh, in particular, with the context of persecution and, and provocation, which it should, right? Because somebody can call themselves patient, patient but until they've been tested, are they really patient, Right? When things get hard, when things get difficult, that's when you see if somebody is really patient in the midst of persecution or circumstances and situations that provoke towards anger or discontentment. The idea is that even in the midst of those circumstances, situations, things that come against us, remaining steadfast in the midst of that suffering long. Kindness. Literally, the word kindness means to be in a constant readiness to help. This is that person who's always ready, right? Say, how can I help with this? How can right? There's people that we have in our uh, life like this. They're just always ready to help. And that is the Holy Spirit at work. That is that kindness that comes through the Spirit. Goodness is, is a willingness to be generous, not just with stuff, but also with self, with the time that we have with the talents that we have, and with the treasures that we have. That's goodness is is a readiness to be generous. Kindness, a readiness to help. Goodness, a readiness to be generous. Faithfulness, this is reliability, loyalty, dependability. People who say they're going to do something and then follow through and actually do it. That's faithfulness. It's a trustworthiness, Philip Ryken says, that comes from trusting in God. That our trust in God and in his promises begins to manifest itself in us being people who are also trustworthy in the way that we live. That's faithfulness. Gentleness, I, I love this word. It has to do with considerateness and conscientiousness. That we're people who are mindful of, of how our actions will impact the lives of other people. But it's at the same time not weakness or Passivity. It's strength that's under control. Gentle people are not weak people. Gentle people are people who are under control. They're not prone to outburst or or anger. They're not pushovers, but yet they're sweet in their spirit. They're not self loathing, but they're humble in their posture. They're not passive people. But they're mild-mannered in the way that they approach things. They're certainly not weak people, but their hearts are tender towards others. This is the very heart of Jesus, by the way. Gentle and lowly in heart, we're told in Matthew. And then the last one is self-control. This is temperance and moderation. The ability to, to do something at the right amount and not too much. To do something in the right way and not outside of those boundaries. Things like sexual ethic, things like drinking and eating in particular. Not indulging in those things too much or indulging in them in inappropriate ways. That's self-control. So Paul says against such things, such things, meaning the list could be greater These things and other such things, just like his list on works of the flesh, could have gone on. Things like these, we could have added to it. So this list of fruit of the Spirit, it's not exhaustive, it it could go on. Uh, Hope, for instance, just one example, uh, is a fruit of the Spirit that's not listed in that, that list. There are more things. These virtues are not nine different gems, nine different gemstones, Philip Ryken says, but they're nine different facets of the same dazzling gem. By the way, and I always get this wrong, I call these the fruits of the Spirit, but it's actually a singular word, and I still probably, even in this sermon, will get it wrong. The word is singular, fruit of the Spirit. It is one dazzling gem. We, the people of God, are being transformed Formed into the fruit, singular, a dazzling display of the Holy Spirit's work inside of us. And all of these things listed and more are just facets of that same beautiful gem. That's beautiful. That's the fruit of the Spirit. Our lives become the fruit of the Spirit. And against such things, there is no law. You talk about the understatement of the letter. Uh, Remember earlier, Paul said the law is summed up in one word. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as you love yourself. That's what fulfills the law. So not only are the fruit of the Spirit, there's no laws against them, they're actually the fulfillment of the law. Because what does it look like to love God and love neighbor? It looks like this. It looks like this list. Habits of the soul that spill out, producing fruit of love-filled obedience. That's the fruit of the Spirit. Notice what's not on the list, though. Social media likes, they don't make it onto the list. Winning, Doesn't make it onto the list. Proving yourself, and on and on we could go with all the things that aren't on the list. Things that the world might value, but they're not valued in the kingdom because they're not the fruit of the Spirit. Instead, they're the works of the flesh, unless you already forget in verse 24, he says, and those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh and its passions and desires. We are called to crucify the flesh. And, and crucifixion, by the way, is a, is a long and brutal process. And that says something. This verse says something about what it means to be victorious over sin. It's not like that. It's not the snap of a finger and, and we're past it and, and we, we trust Christ and then we're just perfect people. No. It's a long, drawn-out process For all of our lives, the brutal process of crucifying our sinful desires, of learning to say, these are the desires of my flesh, and I will starve them and snuff them out and deny them and push back against them and get accountability to fight against them. And these are the desires of the Holy Spirit, and the desires of the Holy Spirit I will embrace. That's the idea of crucifying the flesh with its passions and desires. We read that list of passions and desires last week and and other things like it. These are the things that should be crucified. And he adds a few more to them in verse 26, which is the final verse of the chapter. We'll come back to verse 25 in a second. He says also, let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. He says another work of the flesh you must be crucifying is pride. And pride tends to be seen in our culture as people who gloat and speak highly of themselves. But pride here, spiritual pride here, conceitedness, is just always thinking about yourself. You might think less of yourself, like think of yourself as inferior. You might think of yourself as superior. Both are spiritual pride. You're just consumed with yourself. And spiritual pride destroys fellowship within the body of Christ. It does it in two ways. If you think too highly of yourself, you're cocky, you're arrogant, then you'll provoke others by making them feel small. But if you think of yourself as inferior, you look down on yourself, you self loathing, then you'll begin to envy others and resent others. And that's why C.S. Lewis says humility is not thinking less of yourself. It's thinking of yourself less. It's, it's, it's actually considering yourself less and less frequently. Tim Keller calls it self-forgetfulness. That we become so consumed with walking and step with the Spirit that we forget our own, our desires, our dreams, our wishes for life become so in tune with Jesus's that we die to self and we live to Christ. Paul calls this crucifying the flesh. In the old days, it would be called mortification. John Owen, the Puritan, said, be killing sin or it will be killing you. We must mortify, put to death our sinful desires. Again, always aware, becoming self-aware of the things that we desire and the things that we uh, habits that we have that are from the flesh and which ones are from the spirit and rejecting those that come from the flesh. There's another side to that word mortification, though, and that's vivification. That's the opposite. It's bringing life, bringing to life, stirring to life our affections for the things of God. And that's what we look at in the very last verse. Verse 25. Paul says, if we live by the Spirit, let us walk by the Spirit. Two parts there, living by the Spirit and walking by the Spirit. Living by the Spirit is the work of the Spirit. He gives life. We have life by the Spirit. Walking by the Spirit is something that we are called to do. We'll take them in reverse order. Paul says keep in step with the Spirit. Think of soldiers, right? Left, 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 right, left, right, left, 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 right, left. That idea of walking rhythmically in step with someone else. That our walking rhythms look like the movement of the Holy Spirit. This is the great synchronization of the Christian life with Christ's likeness and the Spirit's leadership. And this is the life that you were meant for. This is the life that I was meant for. But it will require work of us. There must be spiritual habits, spiritual disciplines that we employ. And so there is work in walking in step with the Spirit. But if you go back to the first half of the verse, you see who carries the lion's share of the work. It's not us. Is there work to be done? Yes. But the lion's share, the greatest majority of the work is done by the Spirit. We have life by the Spirit. We live by the Spirit. It originates with Him. It begins with Him. So there's work to do, for sure. But here's the thing about fruit, as opposed to works. You can plant seeds, and you can nurture things, and you can put some work in, but you cannot create fruit. You can't do it. It has to be created by another. It's produced and and, Terms of the fruit of the Spirit, it's produced in us. The Holy Spirit does the work of producing it and creating it. God does the work. He gives His people patience and self control. Jesus gives to His children, He says in His upper room discourse, love and peace and joy. These are things that He gives. It is the Holy Spirit, it is God, the triune God, and the Holy Spirit in particular here in chapter 5 that gives us life. The Spirit does the work. Yes, we do work, walking in step, but the Spirit does the work. That should be comforting, and it's even more comforting when you understand that the Spirit is a gift, not a prize. And that gift comes by grace through faith in Jesus. So as we close today, and I've tried to be brief because of this TV screen thing. As we close today, I want to talk to two groups of people. Those who may not be Christians and those who are. If you're not a Christian today, you can have the gift of the Holy Spirit. That gift can be yours and with the Holy Spirit, the fruit of the Holy Spirit. As you look at that list in particular and you think, man, those things just don't mark my life, but I long for them too. That can happen through receiving the Holy Spirit, by grace through faith in Jesus. Romans chapter 5, verses 3 through 8. This is written in the context of suffering, but in the message towards those who are suffering comes some information we can learn today about the Holy Spirit. Starting in verse 3, more than that, we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Now we could preach on that suffering stuff, that's a beautiful passage, but the part I want us to take away is the reason that that can be true and so many other things can be true about the children of God is because God's love is poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. The Holy Spirit is a gift, not a prize for us performing a certain way with our lives, but a gift that is received by grace through Faith. And it came to us when we didn't even deserve it. Verse 6 For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. God loved the world so much that he gave his only son, Jesus, an historical figure to be sure. But the Bible says he was so much more than just a literal man who who walked and lived and died and was raised from the dead unexplicably by people who don't believe in the supernatural, but yet his body was never found. And so where is this man? The Bible's explanation is the most reasonable one. That Jesus was the perfect son of God who lived without sin and in his 30s he was taken And he was nailed to a cross, and when they put those nails into his hands and into his feet, blood came out. And the Bible says, the blood of Jesus Christ, God's Son, cleanses us from all sin. What that means is, on the cross, God poured out all of his wrath against sin on Jesus, instead of on sinners like me and sinners like you. All of his wrath against sin poured out on Jesus, and Jesus died. But he didn't stay dead. He was raised from the dead three days later. And now, he invites you, right, to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and you'll be saved. If you're not a Christian, put your faith and trust in Jesus today and receive with that faith, that by grace, through faith, the Holy Spirit and all that belongs to the children of God. If you don't know what, if you have questions about what it means to believe on Jesus, to become a Christian, Talk to one of the pastors or talk to whoever you came with today and get some answers to that question. For my brothers and sisters in Christ, we, we can apply this passage to ourselves with that same grace through faith. We need not see this list of the fruit of the Spirit as a, as a burden, some overwhelming challenge that we just keep failing to live up to and we need to experience shame or something like that, but we can, we can apply it with grace. The first one might not feel that way, the first application, but it's this: measure your steps. That could be hard, but but take the list, take the the list of the fruit of the spirit. Maybe go to First Corinthians chapter thirteen and and look at that list of, of of what love looks like displayed in the children of God. Other places where where God tells His children what it looks like to walk in likeness. and measure your steps. Are you in rhythm with what the Bible says it looks like to walk? in the Spirit, and not just generally, but specifically, in what areas do you need growth? What specific fruit of the Spirit are you coming up short in? Do you need the grace of God and growth as a gift from the Holy Spirit? Measure your steps. Are you in rhythm, right? If you've ever been in a church where they get the claps going, maybe you've stood next to somebody who's got it. They're on rhythm. They're on beat. But maybe you've stood next to somebody who, who doesn't, who right? Right? Are you in rhythm with the Spirit? Measure your steps. Number two, right, as you realize, hey, there's places I'm coming up short, and all of us will realize that. Yoke up with Jesus. Yoke up with your big brother Jesus. Walk with him and learn from him, for his yoke is easy and his burden is light. A yoke put on oxen would go on the shoulders of two oxen, but imagine if one of the oxen was ripped like Godzilla, right? That would be the one who ended up doing most of the work. The other oxen would probably walk along, but giant steroid ox, right? He'd be the one doing the work primarily. That's the picture. Yoke up with Jesus. His yoke is easy. His burden is light because Jesus has finished the work. It is finished upon the cross. And so yoke up with him. Walk with him, he is gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. One of our core values is we are invited by Jesus, and we will abide with him communally. So we do this together, communally, as the people of God. We, we walk into that invitation of Jesus to abide with him, to take his yoke and live with him. Lastly, set your sails. For the sailors, setting the sails is work, okay? Like if you're on a boat and you have to raise the sails or whatever those things are, that's that's hard work. And sometimes the sailor might feel like doing that work and sometimes the sailor might not. But when the sails are set and you're gliding across the ocean with the sun on your face and the wind against your skin, that can be a transcendent feeling. So it is in our walk and step with the Spirit, spiritual disciplines are hard work. Sometimes they're uh, a joy to our hearts and sometimes we just grit them out. Sometimes we don't want to read our Bibles. Sometimes we don't want to pray. Sometimes we don't want to go to community groups. Sometimes we don't want to uh, practice fasting or, or evangelism or whatever it might be. Sometimes we do desire those things. But when the sails are set through that, those spiritual disciplines, and the Holy Spirit takes control of our lives, and we find ourselves walking in rhythm, walking in step with the Holy Spirit, then we know in those moments that this is how we're supposed to live. So set your sails. God will give you the strength and the power to set your sails, commit yourself to spiritual habits in your life, to set the sails for the wind of the Spirit, so that that fruit might be made Manifest in us as we walk in the unforced rhythms of grace that belong to us by the it is finished of our Savior, Jesus. The Holy Spirit in our lives is is seen in the growth of certain things and also in the death of certain things. As we walk in the unforced rhythms of grace, might we be people who walk in the unforced rhythms of grace yoked up with our big brother Jesus, setting our sails for the work of the Holy Spirit and being uh, marked more and more with each passing day by the fruit of the Spirit. Father, might we be people whose lives are marked by the fruit of the Spirit. Make that so for us by your good grace. It's the name of Jesus we pray. Thanks for listening. You can subscribe to this feed wherever you listen to podcasts. We exist to experience and embody redemption and renewal in Christ alone, and we'd love for you to experience what God is doing as Jesus builds Mercy Village Church. Connect with us online at www.mercyvillage.church.